Good morning, Missio. It's time to get back into some more Second Corinthians. We're going to go to chapter 5, starting in verse 11. Let's do this. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, In the time of my favor I heard you. In the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Hey, Messio. Johnny Morrison, one of your pastors here. Glad that you're with us. Before we go any further, would you just... Pray with me one more time. Jesus, I feel like I've made this prayer a lot over COVID-19 and over this week, and but it still feels like the most appropriate prayer, which is would we be present to your presence? God, despite the distance that we experience, we don't get to gather, and I feel like today and last week I would really like to be with your people, but thank you that I know that you are with us. So as much as I struggle to pay attention to your presence, would you help me attune myself to you? Would you help our community and everyone who's watching and everyone who's at home worshiping? Would we attune ourselves to you uniquely? As your story is told your word declared as we reflect and confess and repent, would we be uniquely attuned to you? Would you press us into deeper places of honesty and vulnerability? Would you help us see the, the story that you're telling, the world that you're building, the hope that you're bringing? God, and as those things converge in this moment, and as we attune ourselves to you, would that do the work in our hearts that we need it so desperately to do? Not to lead to shame or condemnation, but to a guilt that brings healing. 
and trust and hope. So God, be with us, lead us, speak to us, and help us again to be present to your presence. In your name we pray. Amen. So if you have been with us, um, kind of talking about like what would be going on during 2020, then you may have heard us say that this Sunday was going to be reserved for talking about Missio Vision, uh, talking about what's going forward in the future and where we're going and what we're excited about. And we decided that we were going to pause that conversation and push it out to next week because this moment feels too important to miss. And the text that is coming to us in 2 Corinthians feels too important and too appropriate for this moment to miss. And so instead of talking about vision, instead of moving into that conversation, which we'll still do next week, we wanted to stay in 2 Corinthians, in our series, Mountains Made of Clay. And in this series, and in this letter that Paul is writing to this church in Corinth, Paul is attempting to help the church see through the lens of the work that Jesus has accomplished and is accomplishing in the midst of them. He's trying to help them understand that that the life they live can be radically different than the one that they're living because of what Jesus has done, because of what Jesus has accomplished. That there is a new frame of mind, a new imagination, a new way of being, a new way of living. And he's trying to give that to them so they can embody it in the world around them. Because for some reason, something in the Corinthian heart has not grasped how revolutionary the gospel really is. They still see through the old, and it affects everything they do. It affects how they gather, it affects how they come to the table, it affects how they do repentance and reconciliation, it affects how they see God and themselves, and even Paul, and the words that he's trying to instruct them with. It affects their vision of him. And so throughout this letter, what Paul has been trying to do is help them see through that full story, that whole gospel picture. In the beginning, he was trying to help them see through the lens of the resurrection, that Christ is alive. Then he was trying to help them see their life through the the lens of the community, that you have been brought and formed into a people. Then he helped us understand what it looks like to be a people of the Spirit, that God is with and empowering and joining into. And then last week, Heather walked us through his big giant picture of what God is doing in the world. And Paul is trying to give this to the church to say, don't you understand that God is trying to reconcile all things to himself? He's not trying to get you out of earth and into heaven. He's actually trying to unite the two places to overthrow the evil of this world, to overthrow the injustice of this world, to take hell and get rid of it so that we might be united to him, not in some ethereal distant place, but God here. That what we actually see in the incarnation of Jesus is a foreshadow of our total hope, the kingdom enfleshed with us. So Paul has been doing that, showing them what it looks like to have this big vision of the gospel. And he's going to keep doing that throughout this letter. But as we come to this second chunk of Corinthians, Paul is going to bring it home to us at a new level. And in a sense, he is going to ask us, so what? So what? Like, I've tried to give you this new lens, and so if you have this new lens, what does that actually mean for the life that you live? He says this in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11. Since then, we, 
talking about himself and his writers. He says, we know what it is to fear the Lord, and so we try to persuade others. The phrase, fear the Lord, it is maybe a little archaic sounding. We don't use that kind of language a lot. We don't have a lot of modern reference for it. But what Paul is trying to say is maybe more simply put, do we feel the weightiness of God's reality? Do we, does it feel real to us? Is it actually informing us and shaping us and engaging our imagination? And do we ask questions out of the reality that God is bringing into the world? Does it feel weighty? Fear of the Lord for Paul in this moment is not about fear of repercussions or judgments or rules. It's more of a question. If what God has said and what God has done is true, it changes everything. So therefore, Paul's like, we try to persuade others. Like, we are compelled by this. We have to persuade others. We have to bring this everywhere we go because we know the weightiness of God's reality, that it is actually inbreaking into the world, and so we have to move and we have to persuade. He says this again. He says, like, you might think that we are crazy because we're so compelled by this. He's like, you might think that we are out of our mind. But if we are, it's for God. And if we're on our right mind, it's for you. It doesn't matter. Verse 14, why? Because the love of Christ compels us. The weightiness of God's reality, the love of Jesus, is so empowering, so compelling, that we have to go. We are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them, and was raised again. See, this moment isn't about denying doubts or not wrestling with what Jesus is doing. There's always room for that in the, the gospel and in the story of Jesus. The question that Paul is asking is different. It's not, is it true? It's more, if it is true, what does that mean for us? What does it mean for our lives if it is true? If Christ died for all, that we should live for him, how then should we live? This is the question that Paul is asking to the church in Missio. At the end of the day, that's the question that Paul is asking to us. And the one that we need to continually be asking ourselves. Do we know the fear of the Lord? Do we feel the weightiness of God's reality? Do we live as if, it, as if it is true? Now this week, <clears throat> in light of so many of the things that are happening around us, I was really compelled to read Martin Luther King's letters from Birmingham Jail. And, and, and one thing that really struck me about his letter from Birmingham Jail is that it reads almost exactly like 2 Corinthians. It has a similar tone, a similar posture, Martin Luther King has to defend himself to white churches who think that he's out of his mind or he doesn't have authority, and he brings a similar kind of message to those churches. And I think that right now, it's as relevant for us as ever. This is what he says in a section of his letter. He says, quote, There was a time when the church was very powerful. Whenever the early Christians entered a town, the people in power became disturbed and immediately sought to convict Christians for being disturbers of the peace and outside agitators. 
But the Christians pressed on in the conviction that they were a colony of heaven, called to obey God rather than man. Small in number, they were big in commitment. They were too God-intoxicated, compelled by the love of Christ to be astronomically intimidated. Are we? Do we feel the weightiness of God's reality? And if yes, if the question, if we answer yes to that question, or even if we want to answer yes to that question, well, it leads to a whole other slew of questions. We're just like, well, what does it mean to feel the weightiness of God's reality? What are we saying yes to? Paul answers that question. He says this in this next part of his letter. He says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So what does that mean? Well, we've been talking about this all throughout this letter. <clears throat> but it means that we, Missio, are citizens of a different kingdom. And we have been formed into an embassy, or to use Martin Luther King's language, a colony of the kingdom. And we have been called to live and extend God's kingdom now through a politic of reconciliation. Last week, H.T. unpacked this and said that at the very core of God's work is the reconciliation of all things. That God's fundamental mission in the universe is to bring heaven to earth, his kingdom here. And Missio, as a colony or an embassy of God's kingdom, we live in the middle of that story. The work has begun, but it has not yet finished. It is in process, but it is not yet over. And so we are like embassies or ambassadors. Paul says, we are the ones that God is making his appeal through. We as the church are little pictures of this reconciliation work, or we should be little pictures of this reconciliation work. And we do that like God is doing that in the universe through the practice of reconciliation, which is why I say it is our politic. Because politics are fundamentally how you organize people around a purpose, a mission, a goal. And so the church is supposed to be organized around the practice of reconciliation for the purpose of reconciliation. Paul says this explicitly in Ephesians 2, if we needed more evidence of what it is that he believes. He says this, For Jesus himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, Jews and Gentiles, one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility between them. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. Paul says that is Jesus' purpose, one new humanity. 
out of the two, thus making peace. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. God's purpose is to make a new humanity. And in fact, he would say, that's a part of what it means to be built together into a dwelling place for God. That if we want to be the church, reconciliation has to be there. Otherwise, we're not being built together into a dwelling place for God. Last week was Pentecost. And we often talk about Pentecost in good ways, but often in like really spiritual ways. We talk about healings, we talk about miracles, we talk about the tongues of fire. That's great. That's true. But what is the very first thing the Spirit does? Oh, he unites divided languages. So fundamental to the mission of the Spirit is the reconciliation of all people. In fact, that's actually the Spirit's prime purpose. is to overthrow dividing walls of hostility, to overthrow what Babylon built, to make one new humanity. That's the story that we're participating in. That's God's purpose, His Mission, the purpose of the Spirit being poured out is the reconciliation of all things. So that takes us back to the first question, which is, so if that is true, how now shall we live? If that's the weightiness of God's reality, what do we do with that? If we know the fear of the Lord, if we are compelled by love, intoxicated by God, then what? well, then we have to practice reconciliation. Jamar Tisby, in his book, The Color of Compromise, gives us a bit of a guide for what it looks like to practice reconciliation. He says, there can be no reconciliation without repentance. No repentance without confession. And there can be no confession without truth. This is always true of fractured relationships, wounds, sins, hurts in our lives. Whenever there is some kind of division, it begins with truth and confession and repentance. We know that in broken marriages or hurt friendships. But right now, there is truth being spoken from every major city in the United States. The truth of violence and injustice and dehumanization. The truth of whiteness and blackness and structural inequity. The truth of historic present, and systemic racism. That is the truth that's being declared. And if we feel the weightiness of God's reality, the mission to reconcile all things, and our responsibility is to listen, to hear truths declared. Now, like, as a pastor, as a white pastor, I can't speak monolithically to how Missio needs to reflect or to hear that truth. So all I feel like I can do is reflect on my own self and then invite the community into the process with me of where I sit and where I stand. All I can do is hear the truth and reflect and confess and repent in my own part of the story. And so, Missio, like I am a white pastor. And though I feel like I have spent over a decade trying to learn what it means to be a white pastor, I have not arrived. There's a pastor in Chicago who has this quote that really challenges me. He says, there are no woke white people, just people who are waking up but prone to slumber. 
And so, Missio, today I need to hear the truth again and again, because if I do not constantly hear the truth, I am prone to slumber. And as I hear the truth, then I have to confess. So, Missio, I confess that I am a racist. That I am a white man born into a sociocultural world built by white men to sustain the continuity of white male power. I am so immersed that I am blind to the ways that I am advantaged by that. And Missio, I confess that I am culpable in the perpetuation of white male power. And that even as I try to name my advantage and deconstruct my racism and heal, I am still upholding the ascendancy of whiteness. Missy, I confess that my wokeness has more often than not been about me. Whereas it should have been about a humble submission to God, community, and people of color. Missy, I confess that though I talk a lot about racial injustice and reconciliation, I am more often than not just an empty mouth. That I avoid moments of real confrontation in the work of real reconciliation. Missy, I confess that I regularly use moments like these, sermons and even my whole pastoral vocation, to justify not engaging in the hard work of the real Missio, I confess that I'm often defensive when challenged and confronted because my image is more important than truth and justice. Missio, I confess that I need help. No one should have to carry the weight of my ignorance, but I need my community. I need my arrogance confronted and my ignorance unlearned. Missio, I confess that I am a racist. As I confess, Missio, that means that I am now invited into a process of repentance. Both to receive the grace that God has given to me and to turn from my old way of life into a new way of being. And as I turn into a new way of being, which is an invitation that all of us have today to feel the guilt that leads to healing, not to condemnation, like we all have the opportunity to move into a new way of being, we then move into making amends. to naming in our life. What does it actually look like to take that confession and turn into a new way of living? And then, honestly, we repeat the process. Paul even names this in the text. In verse 18, he says, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. But then in verse 20, he says, we implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He said, God is reconciling you, and you have been reconciled, which means, again, like the church and like the world, we live in the middle of that process, constantly in need of reconciling ourselves or being reconciled to God through a process of truth and confession and repentance and making amends. Monsieur, today we need this process. We need it culturally, we need it in our community, but we also need it in ourselves because it is the process of healing. One of my favorite authors who's been shared a lot in recent days, James Baldwin, wrote a letter to his nephew 
called The Fire Next Time, but being black in America in the 1960s. And he has this statement in the middle that is so beautiful that reveals what is at stake in the process of reconciliation and healing. He says this, quote, Please try to remember that what they believe, what I believe, as well as what they do and cause you to endure, does not testify to your inferiority, but to their inhumanity and fear. That all structures and systems of racism come from inhumanity. He goes on to say, these men are your brothers, your lost younger brothers. And if the word integration means anything, then this is what it means, that we with love shall force our brothers to see themselves as they are, to cease fleeing from reality and begin to change it. You see, that is the beautiful invitation of the gospel. It is a hard and challenging confrontation to our sin and our arrogance and the systems that we have built, but it leads to wholeness. So again, the question is, do we know the fear of the Lord? Do we know the weightiness of God's reality? What if we did? What if we knew the fear of the Lord and took his reality that seriously? What if we were more concerned with the politics of Jesus than we are with the partisanship of our world and we lived that so well that it thought, people thought we were actually crazy as they thought Paul were? I don't know that we would be perfect, but I think that we might begin to live like the kingdom. A dwelling place for God where God is making his appeal through us. So, Monsieur, as we close... I just want to create some space for us to reflect on those questions that we've been asking throughout this message. First, simply, do we know the fear of the Lord? Are we compelled by the love of Christ? Do we know the fear of the Lord? Are we compelled by the love of Christ? I don't ask that question to shame you or to condemn you, but more to reveal in this moment of reflection, like what is the thing that motivates me? Because I think if you're listening to this, then you want to say yes. And second, what response to the work of reconciliation do we need to make? Again, like Missio is not a monolithic space. So I can't speak for what response you need to make. So is it speaking truth and confronting? Is it confessing and repenting and making amends? What response to the work of reconciliation do you need to make? We're going to take a moment to just reflect on those questions. And then afterwards, after we've had a few minutes to reflect, well, I would invite you to come to whatever table you're around. If you have a table of communion set up in your home or some elements there, I would invite you to that table. Because if reconciliation is our politics, then our government building is the table. Here is where we are brought together by the death of Jesus. Where we see and experience that in his death, the dividing wall of hostility was torn. So wherever you are, would you come to the table and reflect on these questions? And know that reconciliation is a process of healing. Let's pray and then 
take a minute to reflect. Jesus, thank you that you're with us. Help us to sit in this moment and hear the words of you. To not try to, like, hand off the responsibility of our of our weightiness to someone else or to back away from it, but to actually step into the reality that you're calling us into. And God, as we hear your story, would we respond to your invitation to be reconciled to you? God, in our reconciliation to you, would it lead us to clear visions and imaginations what it looks like to be reconciled to everyone around us. Could lead us in your name we pray. Amen. Miss you take a few minutes to reflect.